Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you have been with us over the last couple of months, you know that we have been involved in a series that we have entitled Lego Church, Built to Be Together. This series is rooted in the book of 1 Corinthians. And over eight weeks, eight installments, we've looked at some key themes from the book of 1 Corinthians that talk to us about how us and the body of Christ, us and the church, are designed and built to be together, that God uh, wants to do great things through us. And so he saves us, not as individuals, but together. And we've talked about how uh, Legos are really a fit or an apt analogy for Christians. Because you think about what a Lego is. A Lego is a small colored piece of plastic that separated is just kind of a nuisance. But when they come together under direction and design, Legos can build something beautiful. Um, including this beautiful Lego church sent to me this week from Mary Anderson. I'm convinced that Mary didn't build this herself, but she found the picture. But uh, this Lego church is six feet by seven feet by three feet. This is a monster. Took a year and a half to build. Has 4,000 windows in it. I think they made a couple trips to the Lego store uh, in building that. 4,000 windows in this church. There are rooms in the pews of the Lego church for 1,300 little guys uh, to come in there and listen to, I'm sure, the podcast of today's message. And, uh, um, you know, when you look at all of the little pieces and all the time that went into building this, this beautiful uh, Lego church, you understand what God has done with us. Because on our own, we are all uh, separate um, little pieces of people. But together, God builds us into something great. Together, he wants to use us in his plans and his purposes. Together, we have that incredible gift and privilege. And over the last several weeks, we've been looking at that. Today, we're going to look at um, chapter 15, one of the most beautiful chapters in this great book. We're going to conclude our series by looking there. And we're not going to look at all of the verses. There's 58 of them in chapter 15, but we're going to zero in on verses 50 through 58 of chapter 15. Now, before we look at those verses, though, I want to tell you a little story about my week this last week and kind of zero in on Thursday night and Friday. Uh, this, this last week on Thursday, I had the opportunity to go and speak to a group of people at my hometown back in Bartlesville, and so I was up there for the day, and in the evening, I'm driving back from Bartlesville to Norman, and as I'm driving back from Bartlesville to Norman, I was on the Turner Turnpike between Tulsa and Oklahoma City, and I began to notice a problem with my car. That was when I would get to about 70 miles an hour, the, call, the car would kind of stall out and drop back to about 35 or 40. Um, and then it would sit that way for a little while, and then it would pick back up and get to 70, and then it would, the same thing would happen and go back down. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a problem for me, driving on the Turner Turnpike. It's kind of like driving a golf cart with a governor on it. It's just not something you want to take on the highway. But that's, I'm, I'm cruising along thinking, I got to get home tonight. I got to go that way. So, you know, I get home and I'm thinking as I go to bed Thursday night, I'm going to have to deal with this in the morning. Then we wake up Thursday, Friday morning and there's an error code on the thermostat telling us that something is wrong with the air conditioner. So before 9 a.m. on Friday, we've got a phone call into uh, the, the um, 
air conditioner man, I don't know what you call him, to come over to the house and to work on the air conditioner. And my car is in the shop, and I found out that my transmission is shot. Um, so, happy Friday, right? Um, and, you know, we're not unique to this. You guys have days like that. Uh, I saw Kristen Chang that day. She said, you know, these things tend to come in threes, so get ready. Uh, the rest of Friday was pretty good, so uh, thanks for that word of warning, though. Um, but, you know, you have days like that, don't you? You have days where things just go, you know, from, from bad to worse. And you know what days like that remind me of? They remind me that we live in a broken and breaking world. They remind me that we live in a broken and a breaking world. Things do that. Everything I've got looks great in the plastic wrap, but when you take it out, eventually it has problems. We live in a broken and a breaking world. And, you know, I would love it if I could say, you know, that this broken and this breaking world in which we live only affects the things. But if I'm honest, I have to say that this broken and this breaking world affects me. You know what? I'm broken and I'm breaking. I think of that relationally. I, I've, every time I'm, I'm you know, relating to people and I think, man, I, I wish I could love them better. I wish I, I knew what to say in this situation. I wish that, that I, I, could, I could step in and, and be all things to all people at all moments, and, and, and I wish that everything would work out. But you know what? As I live life, I find that, that I'm broken relationally, and sometimes I, I, I hurt those around me that I care about. Um, you know, I think about it in terms of being broken spiritually. I'm broken spiritually. You know, we have this incredible privilege of being able to talk to the God of the universe. Have you ever, you know, it's, it's called prayer. It's a wonderful thing. Um, but have you ever prayed and fallen asleep? I have. I'd like to tell you that it doesn't happen very often. It actually happens quite a bit. Why is that? I mean, I have this incredible privilege. The God of the universe, I could talk to him. Why am I falling asleep? Because I'm broken and I'm breaking. We have this privilege of being able to listen to the very words of God. You can open up a Bible, and there it is. And yet there's times I open it and I read it, and I go, I don't know what that means. Why is that? Because I'm broken. Because I'm, I'm breaking. This is true of us physically. We're, we're all well aware of this. You know what? Physically, we're just not getting a lot better. Some of you in this room on the south side of 28, don't understand that yet. But you get north of 30, and it just starts happening. The greatest baseball player in the world, they, they better sign their contract before they turn 35, because when they turn 36, guess what? The bat speed slows down. You know, right now, I'm healthy, but you know what? Statistically, I'm going to get cancer one day. I'm going to have heart disease. Statistically, I'm going to die. And so are you. We live in a broken and a breaking world. And things just remind us of a reality that affects all different parts of our lives. And so if we were to end this message right now, this would be a terribly encouraging moment for all of you, right? You would go filled and rejoicing throughout your day. It's broken. It's breaking. Let's enjoy our Sundays. Um, but you know what? The, the Bible doesn't leave us with the realities that our world teaches us. 
The Bible reveals to us far greater truths. What we see when we open up the Word of God is we see incredible promises, incredible hope for those of us that live in a broken and a breaking world. And today we're going to look at a passage that I think is incredibly encouraging to those of us that live in a broken and a breaking world. So if, if you had your heart broken in the first five minutes of this message, hopefully God can put the pieces back together in the next few minutes. So if you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 50 through 57. In the course of these verses, uh, I just want us to see one thing today. There's, there's one truth that I, I want to zero in on, and that has to do with the issue of death. And we're going to talk about how together we can conquer death. Together we can conquer death. We've talked about in this series all the things that we get to do together. Together we get to minister in Jesus' name. Together we have the, the privilege of living a life of purpose, being used by God and His beautiful plans. But you know what is, what is so relevant is that together we have the privilege of conquering death. You know what, since death is that incredible statistic, you know, one out of one, ten out of ten, everybody dies. You laughed at me earlier for saying that. It's a reality for all of us. Because that's the case, then this message today is incredibly relevant to every single one of us in this room. Because God reveals to us that there's a way for us to conquer death. And we see that in chapter 15, verses 50 through 57. Now, ch chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is a, a very interesting chapter. It's a chapter that focuses on the resurrection. It's a chapter that focuses on the fact that Jesus, after dying on the cross, physically and bodily raised from the dead. And the reality of his resurrection provides all kinds of hope for you and me. That's what chapter 15 is about. And we're going to talk more about the reality of that resurrection in a message that we're going to give in, in September, on September the 15th. So we're not going to dive in heavy to the first part of this chapter. But know that that's the context of chapter 15. Chapter 15 is about the resurrection. But you know what? There's a prerequisite to a resurrection. What is a prerequisite to the resurrection? Death. You can't resurrect a living thing. It doesn't make sense. Something has to die before it can be resurrected. And so it's in the midst of, of this idea that the Apostle Paul writes and talks about how we can face death and see it through to a resurrection, to a hope, to a new life. You know, death is something that is uh, quite possibly the, the clearest indication to us of the broken and the breaking world in which we live. Death just is. Um, and, you know, I, I don't have to illustrate it too far for you to understand that. I mean, um, a room this big, you guys have, have been to a lot of funerals. You guys have had to, to bury spouses. You've had to bury children. You've had to bury parents and grandparents. You've had to bury friends. Um, in each of those moments when, when you come together and, and your friend that once was alive is, is, is now dead, your, your family member that once was alive is, is now in a, in a casket at the front of the room. 
Um, the sadness and the sorrow of that moment just, just grab us, don't they? Because it's a reminder of, of, of the brokenness and the breaking. The wages of sin is what? It's death. Death is this clear reminder of the brokenness and the breaking part of this world. It, and, and it's something that, that because of that, that humanity, since the dawn of civilization, has been trying to come up with an answer for. An answer for dealing with death. And you know, some people have been better at answering the question and the riddle of death than others. Um, people that don't know God, people that have no relationship with God, struggle greatly with the question of death. Uh, listen to what Sigmund Freud said. Um, you know, if you don't know who Sigmund Freud is, he's a father of, of modern uh, psychology. Uh, you may also remember him from his role if you grew up in the 80s in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But um, Sigmund Freud, um, this is what he says about death. He says, finally, there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found, nor probably ever will be. What a terribly depressing statement. He says, you know what, there's this thing, this, this date, this appointment, this expiration date on every person who is alive now that one day they will not be alive any longer, and the fact that we will die greatly troubles humanity. Freud looks at it and says, I have no idea how to answer this question. We can't prolong life. We can't make people live forever, and, and I do not know if anything at all possibly exists after this point of death, and so it's a riddle that cannot be solved. But you know what, for, for most other people, not named Sigmund Freud, um, there are some answers that have been given to life after death. As a matter of fact, most people in the United States believe in a heaven, believe in life after death. Nine out of ten people believe in life after death. I mean, just, just take this row here, the third row. Third row, you guys want to wave at me? Hi, Lee Summit, we're so glad you're here. Um, you didn't know I was going to make you wave in the service. So this, this group of people right here, can you imagine this group of 10 people in this row agreeing on something 9 out of 10? I mean, 9 out of 10 people don't agree on anything, well, except politics, but 9 out of 10 people don't agree on anything, but 9 out of 10 Americans believe that there is something after this life. And if we believe that there is something after this life, then that begs the question, how do we go from this life to that life and have that life be better than this life? Because this life is broken and breaking. If I'm going to go to another life, I want it to be better. And what's the reality of that? And, and religion has stepped into this void and tried to offer up an answer to people about how to go from this life to that life and make that life better. That's kind of been... One of the things that religion has done in all different religions, all, all world religions, they, they come up with plans for how to live this life so that that life will be better. Different religions in the world come up with different solutions, but all of them basically boil down to the same basic formula. Live a good life here, and that life will be better. That life might be a reincarnation into something else, or that life might be a place in heaven, but, but you got to live good now to live better then. And, and good, that, that's a standard that slides from person to person, from religion to religion. But, but there are 
this idea that it's good. You know, for some people, it's you've got to, to pray a certain number of times a day. For other people, it's got to be generous to certain people at certain times of the year. For others, you have to, you have to keep certain ceremonies or be a part of the right group or, or whatever it might be. And if you, you do all of those things, you, you help enough people, you do enough good, then that life will be better. That's what every religion in the world would teach you, except one, except Christianity. Christianity comes along and it, it says, yes, we live in a broken and a breaking world, and, and yes, there, there is a life after this one, and yes, there is a way to make it better, but it's not about being good. It's not about fulfilling some program. The only way to go from this life to that life and make that life better is to not follow a program, but it's to know a person and depend on him, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. And if we know Christ, we can make this transition, we can solve this riddle of death. That's what is known, of, known as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Paul gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 and following, what he's going to talk about is, is this moment of change, this moment of shift, where you go from this life to that life, and how much better that life is if you know the person of Christ. So we're going to see it in a couple of movements. We're going to start in verses 50 through 53. If you've got a Bible, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 53. This is what he says. Paul writes, and he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Here, here's what he's saying as he begins this, this section. He says that there is such a thing as a life that is better than this one. He calls it the kingdom of God. And he says, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, if you want to live in eternity better than you're living now, if you want to be in heaven and not in hell, if you want to know Christ, then there, there's something, there's something that, that happens to, to spend an eternity um, in heaven. And, and what happens is you don't need a, a minor fix. You need a total change. You know, my, my transmission, they didn't say, you know what, we're just going to change your oil and it'll work fine. You know what they said? Your transmission is worthless. We need to take it completely out and give you a new one because this one doesn't work anymore. In a similar way, when we look at eternity, God says, the equipment that you have right now, this mortal body that you have, has an expiration date. It's perishable. It can't make the transition to eternity. If you want to spend an eternity with God, then you need an upgrade from the standard equipment that we're walking around in. Because this equipment is perishing. This equipment is breaking. This equipment is broken. There's a change that must take place. Not an incremental improvement, not a small band-aid or a fix, but a, but a total replacement must take place. Verse 51 continues this thought, and he, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, mystery in the Bible is an interesting word. And we see mystery and we think, oh, is this like a, an Agatha Christie novel? I mean, what, what's he talking about? Is this something we have to figure out? Um, the idea of a mystery in Scripture is merely something that we wouldn't know if God didn't tell us. 
It's something that maybe God didn't tell his people for a season, like the Old Testament time, but that God pulled the curtain back and showed us clearly in the New Testament. Those things that, are, that fit that description are called a mystery in Scripture. Paul draws their attention and says, I'm going to tell you something that you didn't know before, but something that is absolutely essential in understanding us spending eternity better than now. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. Now what's interesting in those verses is that Paul talks about how the change that is necessary in order for us to spend an eternity with, 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 with God in heaven for our afterlife to be better than this current life is something that happens not incrementally over a long period of time, but it's something that happens in an instant. He says it's something that will happen in the twinkling of an eye. That's the idea of, you know, have you ever tried to put a stopwatch on how fast somebody's eye blinks? Um, hard to do, isn't it? That's how fast the change will happen. It says it's not something that will happen incrementally over a long period of time, but it's something that will happen in the twinkling of an eye. In a split second, we will have an upgrade, a complete replacement of our parts that make us possible for us to live in eternity with God. And this moment that he describes at which that will happen is a time when Jesus appears and he blows a trumpet calling all of his people to himself. Now, this time is something that is known uh, by biblical scholars as, as like the rapture, something that happens around the second coming of Christ. It's when Jesus appears and he blows this trumpet and he calls his people to himself at the end days. This is at the expiration, not just of one person's life, but at the expiration of all of this world, of all of this life. At that moment, Jesus will call to himself all of his people. The idea of the, the trumpet blowing harkens us back to Exodus chapter 19 and verse 16. When Charlton Heston was on the mountain getting the commandments, the, the trumpet was blown by God and he calls all of his people into a meeting. And he says, you know, hey, this is how we're going to relate. In the same way, at the end times, Jesus will appear in the sky and he's going to call all of us into a meeting who are his people. All of us who have trusted him will, will come into a meeting. Some of those are people who have already fallen asleep. There will be people who have already died. The Apostle Paul will be in that number. Others will be people who are still living on this earth at the time that Christ returns, who have also trusted in him. They will also be in need of this full replacement of body, this full upgrade to a body that he describes as immortal and imperishable. Can you imagine a body that is immortal and imperishable? I'm going to be totally honest with you. I can't. There's nothing that I know in this world that is immortal and that is imperishable. Everything that I know is something that eventually breaks down, um, except styrofoam. But everything else eventually will break down. That's just the reality of the things that we know in this world. But, but when we have this transition in the twinkling of an eye, when, when our equipment is upgraded, our bodies are, are given this immortal and perishable status, something will dramatically change. 
I mean, think of the people who Jesus healed at the time of his earthly ministry. Someone that couldn't see, saw. Somebody that couldn't hear, heard. Somebody that couldn't walk, walked. Somebody that was bleeding internally was not bleeding internally. But after the touch of Jesus, those things went away. But guess what? Those people would later get sick and die. They were still subject to the brokenness of this world. But one day, when Christ touches us, in the twinkling of an eye, there will be such a change that no longer will it be incremental help that God provides, but it will be permanent. This is why it's called the last trumpet. He doesn't need to blow it anymore because we'll be with Him forever. The equipment is upgraded that makes it possible for us to be with Him forever, living in relationship with Him in the kingdom that we've inherited. That is the the hope that we have for the future. It's it's a body that doesn't struggle with arthritis or autoimmune disorders or eating disorders or autism or mental illness or cancer or anything else or even just the the simple flaws that we have, remembering where our keys are and, and being able to relate to others in a way that's edifying and encouraging instead of stepping over ourselves and breaking down. There is a a gift that God is giving us. He says that one day in the future, in the twinkling of an eye, the things that have characterized our life of brokenness will be replaced and upgraded with immortal imperishable. So how do we do it? We ought to want that, right? I want that. I want to trade this breaking down body for something immortal and imperishable. He gets into it in 54 and following. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It's an implication of the fact that when The immortal and the imperishable comes upon us in the twinkling of an eye at the return of Christ, that at that point, death no longer has any sway, any power over us whatsoever. You can't kill the immortal. You can't kill the imperishable. Death no longer has that ability at that point going forward. What What a gift that God is giving us. So how is it that we appropriate that? How is it that that becomes our future? Well, the answer is not found in verse 56. Verse 56 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. You know how most religions, even at times, people within buildings with crosses on their fronts, would tell you how to appropriate this reality and make that your future. They would say, live a good life. Live it by this code. Live it by this conduct. Live it by this law of God. Now, now the law is a wonderful thing. The law reveals to us the heart, the character of God. It shows forth who He is. But you know what? We don't get to experience a better eternity because we've kept all of the pieces of the law. Why? Because the more we know of the law the more short we fall from it. I've been walking with God about 25 years now. 
And in that amount of time of walking with God, you, you would think that, that this list, I would, I would feel like I'm stacking up better against this list. But you know what? The, the opposite is true. The, the longer I've lived, the more falling short of the glory of God I feel because I just know more of, of who God is, and, and He's so much greater than me. The gap widens. It doesn't, it doesn't shrink. And anybody that tells you if you just do all of these things, then your future will be better than what they're, they're selling you is a bill of goods. They're giving you a workout plan to incrementally improve your life when what you really need is a full replacement of the equipment that you currently have. What you really need is an infusion of the righteousness of Christ. What we really need is a replacement of this flesh and blood with an imperishable and immortal body. And, and how does that happen? If it doesn't happen by living out this standard, how does it happen? The answer is found in verse 57. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What was impossible through the program is totally possible through the person of Christ. The law that we could not live up to, Jesus perfectly kept. And God says, his perfect keeping of the law, I will credit to your account. Your perfect failure of the law, I will pour out my wrath that was due that disobedience. I will pour out that wrath on Christ when he died on the cross. So that you and I can be good forever. See, our hope of our future being better than our present is not found in keeping the program. Our, our hope for our future is found in the person of Christ and what he has done for us. And if we know him and if we have trusted in him, then we can have a wonderful future, not just retiring in Boca, but with him in the kingdom of God forever. Paul described the gospel back in the beginning of chapter 15, verses 3 and following. He says this, he says, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. See, our hope is in the person of Christ, not the program of the do-better law. Our hope is found in him. And Paul knew that. And Paul trusted in Christ. And so Paul had an expectation that one day when Christ returned, that his, his, his future was going to be far better than his past. And it was going to be a future that would be unending on into forever. So here's the question for us today. In light of all of that, is what do we do with that? What do we do with that? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and, and uh, they're going to be playing for us, and we're going to have a chance to sing and respond to this truth here in just a moment. While they're coming, I just, I just, want, to, just want to ask that question. Are you, are you ready 
for death. Are you ready for this transition? Are you ready to exchange the imperishable or the perishable for the imperishable? Are you ready to exchange the mortal for immortality? Well, our our hope in that becoming a reality for us is not just in us being sick of this broken and this breaking world. And our hope for that is not just found in our ability to keep some program of do good. But our only hope for our future is found in the person of Christ. Have you trusted in Him? Have, have Have you given your life to Him? Have you received Him yet today? Um, you know, I, several weeks ago, um, I, actually several months ago, um, I was driving to work and I, I just happened to go all the way down 24th. I was going to go to Tecumseh and come out. And as I drove down 24th, I looked over and out in front of um, the Academy's sporting goods store, um, there were people that were camping out. And I saw that. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. What, what could possibly be for sale at Academy Sports and Outdoors that would cause people to camp out at 6 o'clock in the morning on a cold winter day. And so I stopped because, you know, hey, I, maybe it was something I needed. And so I, I pulled off and I pull into the parking lot and, and I, I, I go and I ask the person who's working the, the door and they, they said, you know, what, what's, everybody's lined up out here because the ammo truck is coming. Um, see, there was this, this thought and this belief, and you go back in your mind, you remember the events, that, that someone was going to take the guns and the ammo away. And so everybody was out there lining up to buy guns and ammo, to, to, to stock it up, because they might not be able to, to use it later. Now, this isn't a, not, this isn't a gun talk, um, but I thought that was interesting. What, what people would be willing to do and the urgency they would, they, would, they would put themselves through and the way they would orient their lives in order to go get something that they might need. And if they did need it, they would only get a split second of enjoyment out of it. And I thought how amazing it is the number of people who think about the offer of life that Christ has. And guess what? It's not if we might need it. We definitely need it. 100% of us will either die or be living at the return of Christ. All of us need His touch and His change that we might exchange this perishable for the imperishable. And It's not just for a split second of enjoyment. But what Christ is offering us is an eternity relating to Him. You know, if you're here today and you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, why not? Why not today? We'll orient our lives and and we'll inconvenience ourselves and we'll go out of the way to get something that we might need that will help us this much, but... But how much greater would it be for us this day to waste no more time and to give our lives to Christ and to trust in Him? The one who defeated death. We're going to worship Him. I want you to be processing and thinking about that as you stand and we sing.